0: has its second win of the season thanks to a big performance from one designated player but another was dropped from the lineup hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of miami total football radio i'm franco Panizo, one half of this hosting team and joining me of course is el primo steve brenner steve how are you today on this tuesday morning
1: very well, very well. Thank you. Hope you are too. Enjoyed your birthday celebrations, uh, just like I'm sure Phil Neville and the team enjoyed a brief celebration. I would have thought after uh, after Sunday, and yeah, good a good win. I think I didn't want to come back again, and start talking about how I have to go into the next game, um, which is also on the road. You know, needing a a win. I just think it settles everything down. You know, sets sets the week up nicely now for what's coming.
0: Yeah, it was a good win for them, a needed win for confidence. We'll touch on that. We'll touch on the upcoming match against the Chicago Fire. Another game that's fairly winnable for Inter Miami, even though they're going on the road. And we'll, of course, answer questions at the end of the pod. But as always, if you do not follow us on all our social media channels, please do so. And that is at Miami Total Football on YouTube and Facebook, and at MIA Total Football on Instagram and Twitter we've started the giveaways we've put up la rosa negra jersey from last year that's up already on the Instagram we're giving that away soon and shortly after that will come the highly coveted pink shorts from last year which I've actually gotten some background on I actually found out why they wore pink shorts at the start of last year and then ultimately did not I'll share that a little bit later on in the pod but Enough of all that, Steve. People want to listen to Miami Total Football Radio. You thought I would not say that? Come on, I always have to say that. All right, Steve, let's get to it. Okay, Steve, so Inter-Miami picks up a 3-2 win against FC Cincinnati, the last place team in MLS. They only have one point on the year, and it came in a game in which... FC Cincinnati opened its brand new stadium, a lovely new stadium, TQL Stadium. And Inter me, wins this one by a 3-2 mark with two goals from Gonzalo Higuain and one from Breck Shea. The team got off to a good start in the first half and improved performance from what we saw in last week's dreadful defeat to CF Montreal. Breck Shea scores early in the seventh minute and then Gonzalo Higuain off of a back heel from his brother Federico, who started this match in the 38th. So 2-0 lead for Inter-Miami at halftime. FC Cincinnati gets back into it off of two goals that come largely from nothing. And the game's 2-2 two two late. It looked like Inter-Miami was going to have to settle for a very disappointing draw, but Gonzalo Higuain comes up with the goods, finishes off a play inside the 18-yard box. Now, before we get into the performance and our thoughts on it, let's just quickly go over the lineup. Yeah, John McCarthy in goal, Victor Ulloa again as a makeshift right back. Ryan Shawcross at right center back. Leandro González Pires, the captain, at left center back. Sammy Ghadiri got the surprise start at left back. This was his first MLS start. Gregori as the 6. Blaise Matuidi as the 8 on that first midfield line. Louis Morgan on the right wing. Federico Higuaín at the 10 ahead of Rodolfo Pizarro, who was dropped from this lineup. Breccia on the left wing. And Gonzalo Higuaín at the striker position. So, Steve, what were your initial thoughts, or what were your main thoughts and takeaways from this game?
1: Well, I mean, you know, we, we talked <clears throat> at length, excuse me, about the uh, about the lineup, and he, he had to make that change, and he? he had to take Pizarro out; just wasn't wasn't functioning. Put put Federico Higuain in because he does the job that Pizarro, I guess, should be doing. I know we've going on and on about oh no, he's not number ten or whatever, but. They just needed some link-up play. He he provided that, and also we, we talked about Breck Shea. And you actually did say that you, they didn't need an early goal, and they just needed to, to stay strong <laughs> and just like you know soak it all up. And then me, Nostradamus himself, <laughs> big tick, they go on the front foot. Phil Neville clearly listening to this podcast, changing his well, probably agreeing, nodding with my my assessment of what they should do because he was already going to do it anyway. And, you know, they got the early goal and I just think that just, A, it was the team down and then on the flip side it then, you know, put, it forces Cincinnati to come out and play. And yes, look, they they came back into it, but I think it would have been a, you know, they deserved all, all three points, I think. But um, just that little shaky period, which they're prone to doing, you know, uh, which, which we've seen so, so many times. But, you know, I think that in general... When we think about last season, how they struggled so badly at this, this point of the season, only just got their first win. I think to to have you know two wins, two defeats, what draws, whatever at this point of the season, I think it's, it's I think they would have taken that at the start.
0: Are you the secret puppet master behind this all? Are you the one pulling the strings and, and letting people know what to do here? Because you did you did say the key to the game was an early goal now, obviously.
1: I, it's not rocket science, is it? It's not—it's not, it's not, I'm not like reinventing the atom here or something. I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, well, no, but look, I mean,
0: you said the key to the game would be an early goal. I mean, in the end, the early goal is not what changed the game for them. But hey, they got an early goal. So kudos to you um, on that. I thought it would be being solid defensively, which they were in the first half, not so much in the second half. Uh, ultimately, what the game came down to was one of their designated players stepping up. Like we have rarely seen through Inter-Miami's short history so far. Gonzalo Higuain comes up with two goals. Delivers the type of performance you're expecting or you would expect from a designated player. Especially late after Inter-Miami concedes. He finishes, puts the ball into the back of the net. And that's the type of performance that he's getting paid Five plus million dollars for that's the type of performance you would expect from him. So that that was a good development for Inter Miami, a good development for Gonzalo Higuain because not only had he been kind of hot and cold on the field dating back to last year, but he had been recently struggling emotionally. That's something that he and Phil Neville talked about after the game was that he had been struggling struggling emotionally after the recent loss of his and Federico Higuain's mother. So that had been weighing on him, but he had an honest conversation with Phil Neville after the Montreal game, just a heart to heart talk. That's something I wrote about for SBIsoccer.com in my, in my post game cider. And Phil Neville and Gonzalo spoke pretty candidly and openly about the whole situation. And Gonzalo promised, he promised Phil Neville he would score two goals in the next three games, which the first of which was against FC Cincinnati. So he made, he's starting to make good on that promise anyway. He scores two goals, wins the game for Inter Miami. But before we touch on Gonzalo Iguain's performance a little bit more, let's listen to this quote from Phil Neville about Gonzalo's struggles and his grieving that has affected him in recent games.
2: Gonzalo, uh, he's been suffering. You know, if you've lost a pair, and I have, he's been suffering. I think you saw that in the last couple of games. Uh, it's easy to have a look it's easy to, to criticise professional footballers for their performance on the field without understanding what is going on in their personal life what's going on in their their, their mental state and when you lose someone as important as what her, uh, the mother was to Gonzalo and Federico you, you know people handle it in different ways and he's been emotionally struggling his family's arrived in Miami today that's given a massive boost and I spoke to him on Thursday and Friday about about how to deal with losing a parent you know, and, and, and you, you can, you can as a manager, you've got to have these conversations. It's not about football. You've got to help a player.
0: Steve, after listening to that and then seeing the performance Gonzalo Higuain put forth, how much credit does Phil Neville get for managing, managing the situation, managing the moment and, and getting more out of Gonzalo Higuain in this game?
1: Yeah, I mean, you yeah, know, it's, it's management, isn't it? That's what you have to do. It's not just sometimes about what happens... With a, with a soccer ball at your feet it's it's how you deal with personalities being a manager being a manager of mcdonald's or being a manager of inter miami you've got to manage people and you know it's you know an emotional obviously an emotional time phil neville's father uh, died of a heart attack if I, if I remember correctly a few years ago very very suddenly so he talks about how you know he knows he knows what it's like so you know there's a humane sort of element to it i think you know that that's what you do, isn't it? You put your arm around people, you, you try and help them come through what's obviously very, very difficult time for them. And, you know, thankfully, you know, he managed to, to get the right response out of him and, and both Egwains seem to have, you know, not put it to the back of their mind, but they've just, you know, moved forward and just try to to cope as best they can. Of course, it's a very difficult time. It, it, the pain will still be there, but just a nice sort of glimpse there of, of the man management. You know, Phil Neville saying... You know, he's like he lost a parent as well. He knows how how it feels, and you know, you can imagine their sort of heart to so hearts would have been, you know, quite emotional. So I think that all built up to the fact when then you know, both both Higuain's played really well. I, um, you know, Phil Neville obviously struck a chord with them both.
0: Yeah, look, to me, I've criticised Phil in certain moments when I've thought he deserved criticism. And this one, great man management from him in order to not only help the player but help the person, and obviously. I think, look, and I I don't think I've said this, but I think just off of initial early interactions, I think Phil Neville is a way more personable type of coach, more of a, a player's coach than maybe Diego Alonso was. Again, last year was very different because of everything that was going on. But just from our interactions with Diego Alonso, over Zoom, seemed a little bit more of a serious type, maybe not as personable maybe just not as personable didn't seem as you know the type of guy you, you we've seen phil not only in videos with the team and the players but even when we're on zoom calls with him he banters about a little bit makes his jokes um he definitely likes this he definitely likes to tease at times but it's all it's all in good nature so um i think he has that that quality uh that can that can rub off on players that like, you know he can put their arms uh, or his arm around their shoulder and and you know Tell him, hey, look, we need this to be better, or hey, look, let's talk about whatever's going on. So I think that that was a good move from him or a good yeah, situation yeah. from him.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And his brother, Gary, who's known as sort of Red Nev, he was like the sort of he was the real sort of leader of, of the pack uh, at United. Not the leader of the pack, but he's always very outspoken. You can imagine the change room being a very, very sort of, you know, forceful, force of nature kind of character. And that, 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 I Phil Nev was not that kind of character is, I don't think, he's, he's slightly different to his brother, They're brothers, so that, that would have rubbed off on him, you know, and, and I think that you're seeing just that sort of nurturing element of it, and being a leader, and, and being compassionate, and, and you know, dealing with situations in, in, in the right way, and not being scared, and coming out, and actually, you know, talking about things, I think that's a good thing moving forward.
0: Yeah, for sure, because again, it wasn't just the goals, I think, for me, from where I'm sitting, or where I was sitting, it wasn't just the goals, I, I saw more effort, and more a more engaged, I- Gonzalo Higuain. But I don't know if that was just the conversation, or if that's just also a tactical byproduct of his brother Federico being on there and trusting that there's a ten in there that can maybe play through balls in behind the defense, so that can look to combine. And you know, it, it could be a number of things. But let's speaking of Federico, and we'll we'll touch on him in a little bit. But he was part of the build out on the second goal that leads to Gonzalo Higuain's first goal from the run-of-play in MLS. And that build-out is something I asked Phil Neville about, because in the game, I saw, obviously, the two center-backs, Ryan Shawcross and Leandro gonzalez Pires split often in the goal when John McCarthy was taking a goal kick or when he was trying to distribute to start-up sequences. And Blaise Matuidi would drop in centrally, pretty deep, to try to pick up the ball. And we saw that from practically the first or second minute of the game when they had a goal kick. This is what Phil Neville said after the game when I asked him about his tactical approach to the game against FC Cincinnati.
2: We didn't change much in that centre midfield, but the one thing that we did change was the fact that we wanted the team to play the ball into midfield more, to play central more, to trust Blaze, to trust Gregory on the ball, two really good players. So for the last three days, you know, I I said to him about you have to play the ball. I don't care if there's somebody up there backsizing, they're marked. I want to trust us playing the ball centrally rather than play the ball wide. They were really uh, they they wanted to press us wide and not through the middle. So I wanted us to play through the middle in central areas, and that that's where I thought uh, you know Gregory and Blaze at times in the first half really caused their problems. Blaze demanding the ball off his teammates was what I expect from a player of his quality, uh, and uh, and that's what he gave us.
0: But Emo, when you hear that from Phil Noble, that tactical switch, and then you see it on the field, what did you think? Did you think it worked out? Because I thought it did. I thought it helped Inter-Miami find a better rhythm, got players more touches. Whereas maybe when they're being direct and they're not able to hold on to the ball as well as they did in this one, then players start to make sloppy passes or errant passes because they just haven't gotten their rhythm into the match or they haven't found their touches yet. So I think this was a way for players to get their touches. I think it was a way for Matuidi to, to have a bigger influence on the game. I thought he was better in terms of making passes. Still had a few few too many sloppy passes for, for my money, and he still looked a little bit frail defensively, but improved performance from him. I thought Gregori was incredible in this one. I thought he was right up there, uh, right after Gonzalo Higuain in terms of man of the match candidates you know if you had a podium for gold silver and bronze i think he would end ended up silver with brecshay maybe as the bronze but just just what'd you think what'd you think of the the desire to build out and the the emphasis to build out
1: yeah i th- you know that that's what it's all about though isn't it? it's just trying to keep possession you know just to suck a sucker sucker the other team in and once you start losing the ball especially when it's more humid or and, and hotter it's gonna it's gonna tax the players so much and they're just gonna be gonna be exhausted so you've got to try and keep possession to keep wearing the team down you know and I think that that midfield two look much more solid I think Breck shade does give them a more athletic um, option down down one of the flanks and you know Lewis Morgan now is you know coming into a little bit of form it's the kind of form that we saw week in week out last season and I think that helps so if you've got all facets of the team working well in tandem, you know, even for the winning goal, you know that that's what we keep talking about. So it's that if he's in the box, he's going to score. You just got to get the, the ball to him, and he started to move, and Lewis Morgan set him up, and, and that that was it. You know, so um, it just it was a it was a performance where everything just seemed to work much better and a more cohesive unit, which which they have kind of lacked in those games where they've sort of underperformed, and yet the games they have played well in, you you kind of you kind of seen that. So they're 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 gradually getting into it, or at least we're still six games in. It's still pretty early. And they've pretty much only played six times together, if you discount the, the couple of USL games before the start of the season. So, you know, it's a gradual thing. And I think if we if we listen to the, all these podcasts at the end of the season, and then we would have we will see that we just did predict exactly what would happen. That the, the first few games would be difficult because of the of the, the lack of fitness, players coming back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And now it's kind of building up to where they 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 know. It, where where they're at and what positions are key and all that kind of stuff but they've got to keep it going
0: so I'm, I'm going to ask you this and i'm going to preface it with this you can only play the team that's in front of you right okay understood
1: here we go but, it doesn't but, count, it doesn't count. It does,
0: it does no no no. it does count it right. does count it count. it counts like, of course it counts but how much of the factor that they were able to build out and play do you attribute to them playing Cincinnati that's the worst team in MLS, team that has notorious defensive issues, and they've been a punching bag for the last three years or two years and change. They've, since they Since their entry into MLS, they haven't been very good, so... How much do you attribute to it being Cincinnati, or and how much do you attribute it to being Inter-Miami just being better with the ball? Because, yes, they were better with the ball, but they're also playing a team that's not great. So can Inter-Miami do this? Will Phil Neville say, hey, I want to play through to Blaze Matuidi, even if he has pressure on his back against better teams? Is he, is he going to take that risk or is he going to go back to being a little bit more direct i mean so what do you think was
1: this it's horses for courses isn't it you know you you change you mold mold the tactics to to whatever the opposition are they probably knew that they were going to have more of the ball that you know cincinnati were going to be a bit nervy or you know opening their new stadium in a a bad run of form etc etc so they're probably yeah let's let's keep the ball let's try and wear them down look would they do the same against orlando or new england um right now It, it depends would they get as much as the ball would they would they be a you know would they be in the def- on the defensive more against those kind of teams yeah probably but then I guess you know you, you adapt don't forget with the you know the Atlanta game they probably should have won that if they would have got that penalty in the last minute so um you know you just cater for it but I think definitely as we said last week when you're playing against the teams that are struggling or near the bottom and you they, they, they know that they've got a stronger squad you've got to go for it and, and have a go at them and that's what they did
0: so let's touch on the other Igway. Federico, because I think he was important to the build-out. Because with him at the 10, you have a player that's able to combine a little bit more, that's able to float into pockets of space both higher and lower, where he can pick up the ball and help move it quickly. One, two-touch passes. He also has the ability to hit in through balls in behind the defense, which we saw uh, on a couple of occasions, including, again, leading up to Gonzalo Higuain's goal. Federico looks for the through ball for a streaking Lewis Morgan. Lewis Morgan, maybe it was a foul, maybe the ball was taken away cleanly. We didn't get a, a real good look there. But the ball falls back to Sammy Gadiri and Sammy Gadiri then finds Federico Iguain, who had moved up into a higher position because his his recognition of the open space and the empty space, as well as Gonzalo, they both see that the empty space had come in on the right flank because Morgan had made a diagonal run towards the left. And the left back went with him. FC Cincinnati's left back, Ronald Matarita, went with him. So the right flank for Inter Miami and FC Cincinnati's left flank was open. And Sammy Gadiri heads up play, smart pass, finds Federico, and Federico backheels it towards Gonzalo. And even that backheel pass from Federico, which I thought was not only effective but impressive, it sets up his brother's first goal from the run of play in MLS, like I mentioned before. Something we've talked about Gonzalo needing to do. And it's something that you don't get from Rodolfo Pizarro. So Phil Novel said after the game that Rodolfo Pizarro is an important player for this team. And maybe, you know, he you know you got to come out of the lineup sometimes to go back in. And this will be the case for maybe a game or two. But do you start Federico Iguain on a more consistent basis? I imagine he starts this weekend against Chicago Fire. But do you start Federico on a more consistent basis? Or given where he's at with his age, do you think that that's too much of a risk that you know he'll break down eventually
1: we, we don't know we don't see him train so you know we don't know I, I, as i mentioned i spoke to someone who knows him really really well last week and he, he said look he's ready to start he, he's got the fitness to, to do that um you know sometimes you may only need 60 or 70 minutes out of him depending on on the game situation but but right now i think he's a he's a nailed on nailed on starter just because of you know pizarro is out of form He ever been in form it's another question but um uh, <laughs> i just think that he um he he just just does those easy things well and I think he has does have a nice kind of link up with the brother and, and who knows, it may, seeing his brother on the pitch may just inspire Gonzalo Higuain just just that little bit more it may give him one or two FIFA rank, ranking points just uh, you know, his confidence or, or whatever maybe that will be improved a bit so I just think for the moment he's, I don't think he's going to change a, a winning team like that for the weekend and um, I think Federico Higuain warrants his, his place to the side don't you?
0: I think so. Again, I, I like what I see from him from a ideas standpoint. I like what I see from him from a technical standpoint. Again, a lot of... He was able to drop into deeper spaces to help with the build-out and as well as go into more advanced positions and combine or look for players in behind. Just more of a natural number 10, which is something we've talked about on this pod since... Oof, maybe even dating back to last year about how Inter Miami lacked the true number ten on the field. So I think he absolutely will start this weekend. I think he merits starting most of the games unless Rodolfo Pizarro really picks it up. Now, maybe Rodolfo Pizarro will be given an opportunity towards the end of this month and maybe the the beginning of June because he's set or you would expect that he's bound to go with Mexico's national team for their competitions this summer. So maybe there they'll, you know, give Federico a rest. And give Rodolfo Pizarro another chance to impress. But I think Federico is for me, for me, the number one option at that number ten spot right now. Unless Rodolfo Pizarro really picks it up, I you know, I don't know if he should be starting on a more permanent basis. And when I say he, I don't know if Rodolfo Pizarro should be starting on a more permanent basis again. I, I think he needs to perform and, and show that in order to win back that spot. I know he'll probably get opportunities in the near future, but he's got to deliver. Because if he doesn't, then that, that just hinders the team's ability to attack and, and be as good from the build-out and in with the ball as they were this, this past weekend. Because again, I'll, I'll just say this one last time. Federico Higuain looks so comfortable in the attacking half, playing quickly and and playing in tight spaces and trying to make things happen. Just just looks like a true number 10. Now, quickly before we wrap up this segment, I want to ask you about Rodolfo Pizarro. And the moment that the Fox camera crew, the broadcast team, caught at the end of this game. So, Phil Neville brings in Rodolfo Pizarro around the 90th minute to help close out the match. He gets a few touches on the ball to try to kill time near the corner. He gets one opportunity in the 92nd, 93rd minute. When Julian Carranza plays him a ball into space right there inside the penalty area. A little bit off center, off to the left. And Pizarro takes a left-footed shot that FC Cincinnati goalkeeper Kenneth Vermeer makes a save on and pushes out for a corner kick. That would have iced the game had it gone in. It was literally the 93rd minute, so there was only one more minute left in stoppage time. But the broadcast crew, and kudos to them, they caught Phil Neville's reaction and they focused on Phil Neville's reaction when looking at the replay. And Phil Neville looked like the Incredible Hulk. He looked like he went into rage mode because he was practically almost foaming at the mouth with how angry he was at Rodolfo Pizarro not putting that ball into the back of the net. And for me, that's telling. To For me, that's... Because the rest of his, his technical staff, you know, they did the usual hands-on heads, like disbelief. But Phil Neville was irate, irate. It was like a slight temporary moment of rage. And his face, he just looked like a like an angry bulldog. Like with, with his like bottom teeth showing. He was, it just, I was surprised that he reacted
1: that way. Were you? No. I mean, he's a manager. He's under, he's, it's a very, very, you know tight game It's going into the last second they're three two up the pressure's on he's desperate to see it out the guy goes through should have scored didn't score what's he supposed to do just stand there and just sort of smile or something you know he's not like he's a human being he's got emotion running through his veins it was a it was a it was a dramatic ending and he just peed off the fact that he missed i don't think it's a slow Pizarro. i don't think it's a slow on anyone i'm sure if if iguain would have missed it he would have done exactly the same i mean he's just Everyone was probably feeling the same. Fans, people listening, watching, whatever you want. I mean, I, yeah, I don't. I, I, you're looking way too far into that. That some sort of. Oh, I knew, how,
0: how did I know? How did I know that you would go? we The way? old conspiracy theory. It's not, not a conspiracy theory. It's not a conspiracy theory. If you look at his coaching staff, and I'm and I, hold on. If you look at his coaching
1: staff, it was this. Just to put it in context, this was in the last 20 seconds of, of of a very highly charged match with a very very sort of you know um, roller coaster kind of ending right okay just to put so you put yourself in, in Phil Neville's shoes just for a second would you would you be emotional
0: so i would be i would assume i would be like hit the rest of his most of his coaching staff were or was because most of the members on that technical staff they from what you can see in the cameras they have their hands on their heads or their hands over their faces like in disbelief which is by and large the way coaches react to saved shots this was a saved shot this was not Uh, point blank miss that he skied into Rosie this was a saved shot from Kenneth Vermeer or Pizarro that was saved by Kenneth Vermeer I think just my opinion and I will put my name to it Franco Pinizo says this I think Phil Neville's emotions betrayed him and I think they showed that he has not he's not does not have very much goodwill right now towards Rodolfo Pizarro I think Rodolfo Pizarro's in the doghouse you could say I'm looking too deep into it, but I haven't seen, I haven't seen Phil Neville react that way to any miss from Gonzalo Higuain, Federico Higuain. I haven't seen him react like that at all towards any miss. And I don't. And I will ask you this because I know you've watched soccer or football or football for a lot large part of your life. When's the last time you saw a coach get angry about a miss? You can see coaches get angry about about miss, miss markings or bad passes, but over a saved shot a save shot? I don't know, man. I I don't remember the last time I've seen a coach foam at the mouth. He was he was snarling, snarling like,
1: yeah. like Well, look, listen. We know that we know that, you know, he he hasn't been, uh, you know, sort of best pleased with Pizarro's performances. They do they want to try and ship him out in the summer. You know, he's not the flavor of the month right now. Um so maybe there is an element of, of that for sure. You know, they're definitely going to try and move him on in the summer. You know, I'm told Willian, from Brazil, the Brazilian midfielder, you know, who, uh, who's at Arsenal, who's going to leave Arsenal, is a, is a target. He wants to come to MLS. He wants to come to Miami. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, it does add up. Um, okay, I, I retract <laughs> my conspiracy accusation at you. I, I still don't want to look too much into it, but you are right that, they, you know, managers don't tend to react that much when, you know, a, a, a shot is missed like that. But, look, we know that Bizarro is not the flavour of the month right now. Sure. And... You know that that I guess that adds adds to it a bit, but um, yeah, it's been difficult for Bizarro, But I, you know, if the problem is who would want to buy him now? That that is, I know we touched on this before, and probably won't touch on it again in the future. Who, who's going to buy him? Is an MLS another MLS club going to look at Bizarro and think, oh yeah, we really want him? I mean, it's just it's just not happening, is it?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's a problem. And if they want someone like William, they're going to have to get rid of the DP because William, all- William will command a, a a designated player salary, I imagine. Look, I don't. I, and I just want to make this clear. I don't think Phil Neville not rating or not or having Rodolfo Pizarro in the doghouse is unwarranted. I agree that Rodolfo Pizarro has, by and large, been so far uh, a miss of a signing. But that su- that reaction surprised me because again, it's not normal. It's not normally that you see a coach react that way. I even got a few text messages from some people. With someone even saying, "It looked like, and it, and it was in Spanish, but they said along the lines of like, Wow, his like the devil.' Could the devil went into Phil Neville for a second there because he was fuming, 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 and his face was just like like there was this like almost bitter hatred in there. But look, I, I, I think Rodolfo Bizarro's days at Inter Miami, like you just mentioned, are numbered. I wouldn't again. I've said this going back to a few weeks ago I wouldn't be surprised if he moves on in the summer or in the winter although you're reporting that they are looking to move him
1: 100% ok yeah. ok
0: alright well we'll leave it there for in terms of this past weekend we'll move forward and look at the next weekend's game this weekend's game against the Chicago Fire after this
1: y hablé con el técnico y tuvimos una charla
2: sobre esto importante desde que yo había dado una mala imagen en el último partido pero Que soy un ser humano, no soy un robot que puedo entrar y jugar
1: al fútbol y hacerlo bien después de lo que viví pero que tenía que ayudarme al equipo y a mí mismo para, para salir de, de esa situación y, y la verdad que muy contento por los dos goles de hoy, obviamente son principalmente para ella
0: eh,
1: y para, para mi familia, para mi hija eh, que son los sostenes de
0: Okay, Steve, so looking ahead to this weekend's match. On Saturday, Inter Miami goes on the road again and it will play the Chicago Fire, which are another very poor team in MLS right now. They tied their season opener, but they've lost every single game since then, including the last three be a shutout so inter miami for me has a very winnable game in front of it what do you expect from this one
1: yeah i mean more of the same isn't it you know like we've like we've just been talking about they're um they're on the back foot terrible, terrible run of form yet yet to win um a game so you know the, the pressure's on on them and i think you know they'll be they'll look at the result of the weekend for inter miami and they'll look at the lineups and they'll think no oh, you know this is it, we don't want to be facing them right now you know coming off a decent win also had a had a week's rest as well um, so i think just more of the same i think you know it's that they're going to be more nervous than than Phil Neville's team so i think you know again they just go go try and get that goal early on and then and then see what happens they're not they're not scoring a lot of goals for chicago and they're letting letting a lot in as well aren't they so um uh, they they seem ripe for a, a defeat another so- one <laughs> <laughs> another one so
0: I've heard that actually there's going to be a pretty good turnout from Inter-Miami fans for this one. I heard that, that that's been in the works. So there should be quite a good environment at Soldier Field. But in terms of the actual game, yeah, you know, R- Rafael Wickey has not been able to, to find how to push the right buttons with this team or find the right players or find the right combination of players because the team has been pretty poor since he took over. And they've been struggling in a big way as of late. You know they they have their striker Berge who can score but it just hasn't worked. So for Inter Miami, this one is a definitely a winnable game. I think, I think anything less than a win would be would be a bit disappointing for the team given how how poor Chicago is now. Obviously, you're going on the road, and then that's, that's always a, a tall order in MLS. But I think this one is one that they should get three points from. That would help maybe mitigate the three points that they dropped at home against CF Montreal, another win on the road, because Inter Miami hasn't won yet at home this year, so probably need the three points here. The season's long, but given the context of everything, I think Inter Miami needs to win. Steve, what would be the key to the game here for you? And I, I would <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you say score another early goal here.
1: Got to win the game, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I think what they will look back on from, from Sunday is just the fact how once they were they were tuning up mm-hmm. and sort of coasting, they had that Sort of shaky, yeah. you know, twenty-minute period when you know they kind of started to regress a bit into the sort of inter Miami that makes you want to watch from behind the sofa. Um, and they kind of looked like they were gonna gonna concede, and then thankfully they got out of jail, you know, right in the last second. So I think they just need to potentially maybe shut up shop a bit more. Don't go for that third goal. Maybe just you know, you know, lock everything up and and, and, and um, just invite them onto you and then hit them on, hit them on the counter because. Um, once they they once they once let that first goal in on Sunday they kind of started to look a bit vulnerable
0: Did that defensive performance in the second half concern you against against uh, FC Cincinnati? I know we already touched on that game but looking ahead, does that defense concern you a bit now? Because those two goals for FC Cincinnati came practically from out of nothing It's not like FC Cincinnati was building up and creating things that John McCarthy had to save in that second half, the first one comes off a long ball that beats Leandro gonzalez Peters. And then the second one is off of a corner kick So does that concern you a bit Or do you think it's just circumstance of one game
1: uh, I mean, they maybe they, they shut off a bit. Um, maybe fitness and concentration, you know, comes into it. For sure, Cross had a, uh, Gonzalez players have had decent decent enough games. I think, um, yeah, just just that just that lack of concentration. That's it. Just it's a cliche. It only takes a second to score a goal, and um, you know they just needed to maybe they need to shut up shut up shop a bit more rather than just chase 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 the third goal. I think uh, once and then once they got the first one, then it you know. Tables are turned, isn't it? It's that it's it's the home team that are, that are coming at you, and you're trying to hang on. So the dynamic changes completely. So if they can just, you know, just just stand firm, and just just you know uh, keep compact and, and and not trying to concede as as the time goes on, then I think once they get into the last 10 minutes or so, then they can kind of breathe a bit easier. But if they start conceding around 55, 60 minutes, you know, then it's still there's, there's everything to play for.
0: For me, it's put the game on your terms, dictate the tempo like you did in that first half against FC Cincinnati. Try to build out and do more of the same. Do more of the same and this game should be yours, especially if you can get your DPs like Blaise Matuidi and like Gonzalo Higuain to influence the proceedings. So put the game on on your terms, put it on your stamp. You'll be on the road. But again, playing a team that's not in the best shape right now in the best way, I think it's a very winnable game. Steve, any lineup changes you would make? I know you think you said earlier you wouldn't change the team, but anything you would maybe switch or alter?
1: Really, no. I'm, I'm sort of loathe to uh, to change a you know a winning a winning formation, really. I think if everybody is fit, we we we're not going to speak to Phil Neville. I don't think until Thursday, so we won't know the status of Figal or you know Robbie Robinson or, or those sort of guys. But sure. you know they they'll. They'll come in off the bench. I think uh, all being well, providing everyone is fit and, fit and healthy, I think he'll go with the same team.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes with the same team. I think if there is maybe one change to make, I think maybe it would be Sammy Gattery coming out of the lineup and maybe Jovan Jones going in. I liked what I've seen from Jovan Jones in the last two games. He was pretty good sub off the bench against CF Montreal as a left winger. And then this one, he came in and played left back and looked pretty, pretty decent. So... Wouldn't be surprised if that's the switch he makes, but other than that, I don't really see any other changes really being made to, to the team. Unless, like you said, someone like maybe Kelvin Leardam comes back into the mix and is healthy again, or Robbie Robinson, or Nicolas Vigan. But that's, that's the only real scenario where I could see that changing. Steve, give me a prediction
1: for this weekend. Um, I could. I always concede see them conceding, unfortunately, but I think they'll score, and I think they'll win three one.
0: Three one. Okay, that was my prediction last and It ended up being three two, so I was close. This time, I'm going to say, Inter Miami wins four zero.
1: 0 Wow. You, yeah. I mean, it's, we're only drink. We're only recording early, but you've, you've been drinking.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm still hungover from uh, my sucking, bo- my birthday. Up <laughs> I'm still hungover from my boat festivities on Saturday in Miami. Um, no, look, I think Inter-Miami has gotten a lot of confidence from this one. I thi- This last game, I think Chicago Fire is in a really poor run of form. They're at home, sure, but I think Inter-Miami individually is better, and I think collectively coming off this win will be better. I think with Federico Higuain in there, I think it'll just continue to work a little bit better. Defense, I do have... Some slight concerns about the goals are lighting up because now they're not looking as solid as of late as they did maybe at the start of the season. I know that they're missing a few pieces here and there. But either way, I still think Inter Miami will will have a big win this weekend. But that does it for this segment. We'll come back for the Q&A session after this. guys it's q a time and el primo is back in the house he left the house on friday in our bonus pod but he's back in here so we'll get to our q a session starting with a question that we got last week for you primo it was from luis one of our regular listeners and he says question for el primo what's your favorite local beer i said last last friday we would come back to it and have you answer it so here we go
1: um Favorite local beer, a, a barrel monk is quite nice. I do like that. Um, and there's another one. I, I always like going down to Winwood and going to the, the breweries down there, but it's uh, obviously that is, that has stopped recently. But I look forward to uh, to getting back down there. I actually had some very nice uh, alcoholic kombucha as well. At, um, um, at one place, I concrete concrete. Is it concrete brewery? Is that right? Is I'm, I'm not head- a, yeah,
0: so I'm not a big. Beer connoisseur, like oh, I, I can have a beer, but I'm not a big beer person. N- you know, I got made fun of quite a bit when I first moved up to New York because I, you know, everyone was drinking their IPAs and their fancy beers, and I was just kind of very uh stock, like Stella or, or whatever I was drinking at that yeah, power time. Power
1: Monk, man, Power Monk, that's a good
0: one. La Rubia is not bad. La Rubia, I don't, I don't mind La Rubia. It's a, it's a, I, think, I believe it's a Winwood beer. I think I have one in the fridge, but um yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not bad. It's not bad. Now, we'll we'll uh, we'll switch unless you want to keep talking about beers because I, I I said last week I know Steve would like to dive into this question.
1: <laughs> it's we'll, we'll we'll talk about beers probably having a beer with everyone else when it's when we can do it. how about that? I think that's a better idea.
0: I think we should and you know and we haven't talked about this really but I think we should next week before the game against DC United that. We'll have a full house or we'll be able to have a full house. I think we should go mingle with the fans a good bit and maybe maybe just have one beer before the game. So that way we can at least focus and have
1: our analysis my, be If a any more. of my bosses are listening to this, I will not agree to that <laughs> at all. I'm professional. I would never do anything like that. Thank you. I'm just putting it out there.
0: I mean, it's not like your, it's not like your analysis is spot on anyway, so... <laughs>
1: uh,
0: Steve's probably punching... Um, the, uh, throwing a dart at the picture he has of me yeah, on his punching bag. Okay, next question. Let's let's switch to the to the soccer soccer questions. This one comes from Gabe P. What would be the easiest way to get rid of our DPs? Is there even a way to get rid of two players that are older than 33 years old? You can't even sell them. Puts it the, with an exclamation point. Pizarro has market in Mexico, but I don't know if he would like to go back. What's happening with Pellegrini? Why doesn't he play for Fort Lauderdale's team? So Steve, there's a lot in there. Let's begin with the bigger. Veteran DPS like Gonzalo Iguain, and Rodolfo Pizarro, and Blaise Matuidi. Is there a way to get them off the books if Inter Miami wants to? I imagine they're not all going to go, but if someone like Pizarro, like you mentioned, is on the transfer wire, where you know, how does Inter Miami get it done?
1: Yeah, this is it. They're working their contacts. The agents are working now. I'm, I'm sure you know the feelers would have been would have put out in terms of if they can try and offload Pizarro you know, somewhere just to get him off the wage bill and then they can make moves for Willian or whoever they want to do. It's it's difficult in, the, you know, the the transfer markets. Uh, the windows are still shut in, in Europe because the league is still going on, but they'll reopen next week. Um, and then that this is where the agents come in, into play. You know, we've already seen the, the first transfer saga with, with Harry Kane wanting to leave Tottenham Hotspur. But, you know, this for us, it's certainly in, in MLS, this is going to be an interesting one to see how they try and manoeuvre a way to, to free Pizarro up, that that spot up, and bring someone else in because that's what we're hearing. That's exactly what they want to do. Um, what clubs would be looking at Pizarro? Think we need him. Someone will. It's just whether or not. Also, you know, they they can make the move happen, but also to try and recoup the money that they they outlaid for him. I, I can't remember off the top of my head how much they paid for him, but. They'll be doing well to get that money, that money back, really, and that's what the owners want to do. With a lack of revenue coming in from fans, you know, money is a, you know a premium. They want to try and recoup every money penny they can, and if they're not going to just get rid of him just for the sake of it, they want to they want to get their money back. But it's um it's difficult because I think as an asset, he's probably devalued uh, since he's in the last sort of eighteen months, really, which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah, so I'll repeat that. I don't think Wayne and Matuidi are going anywhere this season, no. but Pizarro... I could see him moving on. Now, if ownership, which I imagine is the case, wants to recover some of its investment, I don't think you're going to get very much back on Rodolfo Pizarro. If you're looking for something close to what you paid for him, it's probably not happening. He's formed his dip for club and country. He's been getting criticized locally as well as nationally down in Mexico. So it's just not... His stock is as low as it's probably been in some time. So I cannot imagine that Inter Miami is going to get a whole lot. Now, if, you're, if the owners want to try to recover some of or more of that, well, then it's going to take time. He's going to have to raise his performance, and that could ultimately hinder the team because that, that would have to force or that would have to make Chris Henderson and Phil Noble have to wait until... Someone comes with a, a very good deal. Whereas if maybe they could sell him for less sooner, they could bring in a, a, a player like Willian. But obviously they have to get approval from, from the ownership there. So we'll see how that plays out. As for white Pellegrini's not playing for Fort Lauderdale, we touched on this a few weeks ago, I believe, in the Q&A session. And we don't have this as information, but I think it's pretty safe to assume that Pellegrini won't play for Fort Lauderdale CF because it can probably hurt his stock more than help his stock. You know, he could get injured, he could have not great games against with players that are not of a higher quality and then people will criticize him more for not dominating the USL league. So, don't think he's going to be playing for them. He hasn't yet and I doubt he will. There has there have been reports of him heading back to estudiantes in argentina on loan uh, as early as july so i wouldn't be surprised if that's that's what what's going on and it's just a waiting game right now in terms of that Inter Miami did not comment when i reached out to them about about that report next question comes from alante herons and it says what's your favorite part about the new miami freedom
1: park renderings
0: realistic opening date keep up the solid work primo
1: um I'll be honest with you, I haven't actually seen, <laughs> I haven't actually seen the renderings, but it all just leaves me a little bit cold just because it all looks impressive. And we've been here for, for many, many years now in terms of looking at what they're trying to do. I had a conversation the other week about when they were going to do it in the Port of Miami, which would have been awesome. The pictures there look great. I'm just taking everything with a pinch of salt just because I know how much work they've got to do just to even get to that first spot you know, building block in the ground, they're absolutely miles away from anything like that. And I just think it's all, you know, it's all got taken a bit of a, a back burner now because of the pandemic, but also because of the, un, you know, the uncertain economic climate right now. I don't think people are throwing, going to throw money at, uh, at something like this, considering the year or the 14 months that people have had. So I mean, plus, I just think that the the, the the setup they've got right now is, is, is fine. I think it's great. Um, You know the great training centre. I like the stadium, like the setup there. It's it's all, it's all good. And if if they're going to do that eventually, then then fine. But I just, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be upset at all uh, or surprised if they stayed where they are now for the definitely for at least four, five, six, six years maybe. I think, you know, the moving to Reese is a good money making scheme. But that, that's what it is. They want to make money. They want to try and make as much money as possible by everything else by having the the hotels and. Uh, the shops and the retail and the the business parks and using it as a gateway to Central and South America and creating this new Silicon Valley for, for South Florida, Um, you know, and and it's a real estate deal with a soccer stadium in it. I wouldn't worry too much about that. I think you've got a great setup now. Having I've been we both have we've been to grounds and stadiums all over the world, all over Europe. I think this is a great. They've got a great setup here, and I think you also can't knock the fact that the training center is on that same site as well. So. Yeah, it looks good, but I don't get too excited just yet.
0: You're just saying that as a Parkland resident because you know you like how close it is to you. And look, I, I I'm also in Broward County, so the drive would be further to have to go to games. Down, it's, got nothing that much it's got nothing to do with my
1: clients. It's got nothing to do with I would have liked them to... Look, imagine now if they were in Wynwood or in Overtown where, where they had that site then. Again, that would have been awesome. And, and if we talk about beers, you could go to Wynwood, have a few beers. <laughs> I know the Woods Tavern's not there anymore, but, you know, have a few beers and, and rock up to the stadium. They're not going to make money out of that stadium because they just... It's just going to be a stadium. Just like the stadium in Lockhart, it's just the stadium. Whereas in Reese, it's going to be this whole thing of... Like we've just, just mentioned. So, um yeah, I just... Uh, do worry about on the team the pitch on the team and the the team on the pitch sorry and let's see what happens in the future but like I said don't hold your breath
0: yeah I mean look to answer the question I, I like the renderings renderings are always cool to see they're always very artsy and you know they always glow a little bit like that first picture that they have now with the stadium and you know it's the sun setting in the background so there's like this pink or orange yellow shade going on and the lights are lit in the stadium and the buildings there are lit up as well it all looks nice but they're renderings right and renderings tend to, to look a little bit fancier or nicer or a little more, bit more glammed up than what is actually seen when when the stadium comes to fruition. We did hear from Jorge Mas at, back in February that something would get close to being done in 45 to 60 days. That got pushed back once we spoke to him right before the start of the season. He again reiterated that same line, and we still have not heard anything of note on that front. So like Steve said... If you're keeping your fingers crossed, you may need to keep your toes crossed as well because it, it might take a little bit more time for that deal to to get finalized and to construct for construction to begin. And Steve, I'm I, you know I'm impressed that you your knowledge of the Winwood beer, watering holes because yeah I used, live, I
1: used to live i used to live in, in midtown miami so um okay. was just a, a mile walk away so yeah and you know, i've been to overtown i've been all to that area and it's it's all spreading out and it's it's you know it's really cool so much cool stuff happening there and the stadium would have been awesome it's just um yeah it didn't happen they still own the land as well they still own that land they still have a nine million dollar piece of land in overtown maybe they can open a brewery the Neville Brewery,
0: <laughs> or maybe they can sell that if they plan not to use it and go get uh, William um uh, because that, that that could help pay for it. Um, but yeah, I am impressed that, that you knew that Wood Tavern had closed. I, I love Wood Tavern. Had spent a lot of my uh, a lot of nights in my twenties there. A lot of lot of good times. A lot of good memories. Uh, ne- next question, because we've rambled on on this one, comes from Jorge Medina. Should Pizarro stay starting benched against the Fire? Do we keep the same lineup as we did against Cincy? If not, what? do we change? So I think we touched on this. You said you keep the lineup the same. I would say yes, unless Jovan Jones is fit enough to start. If Jovan Jones is fit enough to start, put him at the left back spot instead of Sammy Guderian. But I think Pizarro stays benched. I think you keep the the rest of the team the same.
1: I think, I think so. Just, yeah. Unless, you know, no one can't get you know, people get injured in the week or, or whatever. I just think uh, you never change a winning team. <laughs>
0: So the next question comes from Daniel Mejia. What other player is likely to come up from Fort Lauderdale CF to the main team like Ascona? I would say Harvey Neville. That's just, I think that's just a clear-cut, very easy answer there. Harvey Neville, who also is a right back, I think he would naturally be it because his father's the head coach and because he plays that position, I think Harvey Neville would probably be the, the player from Fort Lauderdale CF that's most likely to come up be it by the end of this year or by next year
1: and Mitch Mitch Curry from Sunderland he's also didn't he score he scored the other night if they won the final didn't they um, he looked quite lively so it's just good I think they have I mean all, all the teams have got this obviously but just to have that feeder team as well there um, you know where they can just mix and match I think that's a you know that's that's a, that's a good thing
0: next question comes from oof and I'm gonna butcher this this pronunciation Jedsrich wit. Let me know on Twitter how to pronounce that, so I get that right going forward. Because yeah, I'm I'm usually good with pronunciations, but I might have just completely butchered that. But he asks, what do you think of the quality of Ryan Shawcross? Personally, I've been expecting a little bit more from him. Steve, you can start here.
1: I think for someone that's not barely played for two years, I think he's done. Uh, he's done okay, isn't he? I think. I mean, uh, what, what, I, 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 without. Being like Allison from you know the Liverpool keeper and scoring a goal. I don't know what else. What, I mean, you think he's done okay? Yeah, I mean he hasn't been fit, so um, he's, he's he's looked relatively solid. He had a bit of a didn't have his best game against Montreal, did he? But then then, but then no no one did. So I think on the whole, I think they'll be they'll be pretty pretty pleased with him.
0: I think I've seen good and bad moments. I would say slightly more good than bad. I've also seen someone that looks like with more time. He'll be a real leader on this group. I think those qualities that made him captain at Stoke City for so long, I think you've caught glimpses of it in terms of him leading guys in different moments on the field. There's been different moments in different games where you see him instructing and pushing people into positions or or, or really trying to lead and guide them. So I have liked what I've seen more than I've disliked what I've seen. And I think he will probably get better as he gets more into a rhythm, more 90 minutes fit and gets more, or sorry, gets more of those 90-minute games under his belt. Next question comes from Twitter. Doesn't MLS have an automatic suspension on fifth yellow card accumulation? I see Gregori and LGP are both sitting on four yellow cards. Both are the only outfield players to play every single minute this season. Who do you think will be the first to the fifth? Hopefully not both in the same game. Well, now, Twitter, you have now jinxed both of them, so if they both get a yellow card this weekend, it's all your fault. Um, just kidding. I would say... Oof, man, that's a tough question because they're both very physical. They both, they both have a habit of drawing fouls. Gregori, Gregori, just because he's 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 involved there on the ball a little bit more, I think they're both safe bets to get that fifth yellow card sooner rather than later. But I would say Gregori slightly, although LGP also has a tendency to to pick up yellows for for physical and rough play.
1: Yeah, between as well. He kind sometimes looks like a booking waiting to happen, doesn't he?
0: Which one? Which one do you think, Gorgotti or LGP? Who, who do you think gets uh, gets the fifth yellow card first?
1: I think González Pires just because he's he's in the thick of it, you know, quite a lot, puts himself about. He's a quite aggressive kind of player, like likes the physical sort of element of it. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd go for him. Unfortunately.
0: Okay. I mean, look, their, their jobs, part of their jobs, part of their functions are to break up plays. So yellow cards are a natural natural part of the game for them. So. It's not, it's not necessarily a huge slight. I think, obviously, you don't want them racking up yellow cards, especially this early in the season, but it is part of their their duties there on the field as, as defensive-minded players. Next question comes from Eric. Hello. Why is Neville only playing Jones half of the games and not starting him? He seems fully fit to me. Same goes for Leardem. Enough with tinkering around with the fullback position and playing guys out of place. Personally, I've seen enough of Ulloa. Have you heard anything on FIGAL? So I'll start here, Steve. And Leardem is dealing with a knock. That's why he hasn't. That's why he didn't dress over the weekend. That's why Uyoa has been playing as the right back. Uh, as for Jones, I can't remember when exactly Phil Neville said it, but I think it was last week, and he said that Jones is still working his way up to full fitness. Obviously, he arrived late into preseason camp, so Jones is still not there yet. That's why when he did, was starting at the beginning of the year, he was coming out either at halftime or shortly after halftime, and now he's he's coming off the bench more. So I think once he does get. Closer to ninety minutes fit, or once he gets there, then I think we'll see him him start a little bit more often. So, but that's just what I think. I don't know what, what how you're feeling about it, Steve.
1: I think he's just mixing and actually, isn't he? Because again, you know the players weren't weren't fit. Joven Jones looked okay, is not he? Not 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 amazing, but but okay. But he has got different. Um, he's got different options, um, and he's just trying to manage manage the squad, you know, um, considering the lack of game time that they had early on.
0: Okay, and then the last question for this week's pod comes from Elder Bar. What is Phil's actual tactic or game plan? Seems like every game is improvised. Does Phil see the immense amount of turnovers from Matweedy? Steve, I fully expect you to defend Phil Neville here because you you tend to defend the English. <laughs> but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, but, you you know, you would you, you have to adapt. That's what a manager does. He adapts. It's not a case of, right. Well, we're going to play this way via, you know, to hell with whatever else happens. Look, I was thinking about this before as well. Go back 12 months. They were in one, was it three points from, from six or something like that? You know, I just... I, it, to, you don't, can't forget this was a team in transition. It was a new team, a struggling team, and you guys come in and look. It hasn't set. They haven't set the world alight, a but they've done okay, pretty much. And like I said before, and I'm repeating ourselves: if you would have said after six games you would have, you know, had what was it eight, eight points already? I think, then I think people would have they would have taken that just about. Maybe one more win. I think the Montreal game was was a disappointment, but he said that that was a reality check, and you know, blah blah. blah and, and, you're part of the learning curve and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just, yeah, I, I think they're doing okay. I mean, we're not we're not talking about Brazil or Real Madrid here. You know, this is a, a struggling team that re, that needed needed a change. they have had to change, and I think we're seeing more shoots of recovery and signs of life than we did for for a long, long time last season. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, you know, I, I think they progressed even though they were starting from a pretty low bar.
0: They have progressed, yes, absolutely. I don't think. Anyone could argue otherwise, though, though, I do think that they're trying to make do with the pieces that they have that they do not want. Because, again, Phil Neville in preseason said he wanted a possession and high-pressing team. He's had to adapt to the players he has. He's realized, I think, that these players are not going to be able to to play that way exactly. So he's become or he's gone in a little more of a direct manner. Again, there was a little bit more build-out in this one. It was still more of a direct build-out, though, playing through lines quickly. Not not really patient build-up, side-to-side passing, not much of that. But I think he's just making do with what he has until they can bring in more pieces that is to their liking or that are to their liking and that fit the player profiles they want. Because, again, like you can say all, you know, all these things as well that there's things that have gone against them in preseason and whatnot. But they've said, look, they want to be a top team in the Eastern Conference. They want to be fighting and contending for titles. So that's what we have to judge them on. That's what they're judging themselves on. So publicly, we can't say, all right, well, you know, they've had some, some issues here and there. Sure, we can highlight that. But that's still not not enough um, for a team that, that outwardly says how good they want to be. So, you know, hopefully we'll see how they – hopefully we'll see them improve from the run of play as the year goes on. But again, I think it's going to take some time. I do agree that Matuidi has, at times, plenty of turnovers, and defensively he's a bit of a, a liability. But again, it's about pieces being here that maybe they don't want, that they don't rate, but that you just can't get rid of just like that. There are contracts in MLS, and with the transfer windows being how they are, it, it's complex, and it, it's, not, it's not as case? easy. It's not as easy as just selling them or getting rid of them in, in no. all in one window.
1: And there's also um, there's also decade long investigations into Blaze Matwee's financial irregularities. <laughs> so. I think by the end of sort of twenty fifty, we should know <laughs> we should know. We should know. Don Don said. So that that, that that's
0: good. <laughs> Don Garber did give an update in Cincinnati and saying that, you know, inter- and interviews are still being conducted. Oh God. So yeah. So I don't know when we'll hear anything, but it might be a, mm. a few more few more weeks, if not months. Steve that does it for the Q&A session. Give us our final thoughts. Your final thoughts. I'll give mine and we'll wrap up the show.
1: Yeah, look, I think I'm not telling people to suck eggs, but I think
0: people should <laughs> what does be ready What does suck eggs
1: mean? Uh, like, you know, doing something which you, you know that you don't need to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. I think people should be pleased with with how things are going. I don't think it's perfect. I think they still have to make moves. Remember, Kieran Gibbs is going to come in the summer. And new goalkeeper is going to come as well. Now we're hearing about Willian, all, all that kind of stuff. Just writing a story about that right now. He definitely wants to come. That would change the dynamic. So I think you know, it's they're working with what they've got. I think after six games, it's been decent, not brilliant, but definitely not as bad as those low points of last 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 year. I think if they can get a win as well on on Sunday, I think that sets them up, you know, really, really well. And I think they'll be delighted with that. But I think straightforward and, you know, we'll have to to wait and see. But I think this is a good matchup for them on Sunday and I'm expecting a win.
0: My final thought is Gonzalo Higuain stepped up and delivered like a DP does. And he made the Team of the Week. He was named the MLS Player of the Week. He's the first Inter-Miami player to win that award. So need more of that from him. Obviously, he is maybe still struggling emotionally with the loss of his mother. That's understandable. But you need to get those type of performances out of him for Inter-Miami to be the type of team that it wants to be. Because you need goals from your striker. You need that that type of performance from him. So let's see if he continues to, to make good on his promise to noble and scores another two this weekend. I said 4-0 predictions, so I could definitely see him scoring two on saturday but that does it for this week's show we had news we had debates we had arguments very very interesting show today make sure you give us a review on apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already and give us a follow on all our social media channels and give us some feedback let us know what you think about the show what you would like to see or hear more of what you would like to hear less of i said this without you on the show steve so i'm gonna say it again if you want to hear less of Steve Brenner talk about Manchester United's 1992 team, let us know as well because I know he references it quite a bit. No, it's
1: actually I'm just... <laughs> a wonderful documentary uh, about it. If you, can't watch it. we should do like a viewing party or something. we will been watching it. Phil Neville come down, uh, David, David Beckham. You know, I mean, they're all. It's a good story, and I bet I, I, you may mock, but I bet people, a lot of people, don't know the sort of depth of it. So we should have it. We should, we should get into it.
0: I'm not mocking. I'm only teasing. I'm only teasing, Steve. It's a great story. Um, it's a great story. <laughs> okay, well, maybe. we'll we can do that I do think we should get to the stadium early next week let's plan that out let's figure that out and, let, and then we'll let the listeners know maybe early next for week sure. what we're going to do because I think we should have a little bit more outreach especially before that game where that's going to have so many more fans in it or at least we expect it to but that does it for this week's show for Steve and Primo Brenner I am Franco Benizo enjoy the game this weekend guys and we'll talk to you guys again next week